0: Hi everybody. This is Phil Town.
1: And this is Danielle Town.
0: And we're here talking about investing and how to make money doing it Warren Buffett style. How and to make your
1: life better by investing with confidence instead of fear. How to
0: have money when you're old? How to have money when you don't have any to start with? <laughs> how to
1: That's a good one.
0: I uh, like that. How to how to get high rates of return with very low risk. Mm-hmm. Almost no downside investing. Well, we could call that no like downside that. investing.
1: Almost no downside.
0: Almost investing. no downside investing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that sounds realistic. Ninety-eight
0: percent good result. Yeah, I like sort that. Of <laughs> and we were, we promised you guys last time we would talk about how to get started. I mean, how do you how do you begin? Where's the beginning and all that? Because we've been talking for lots of podcasts about you know how it's done. But how do you start?
1: Yeah, just really obvious, probably questions of, do you need an account to start purchasing stocks on the public markets? I assume you do.
0: Like, how basic should we get here? I'm
1: talking extremely basic. I know some of these answers, but I've also gotten questions from other friends of mine of just really, like, what on earth do you do? So I would love to go through those questions. Do we need
0: to go all the way into, like, what is a stock? <laughs> <laughs> how far? How far deep into Probably this? Probably people, we,
1: <laughs> if they're listening to this, have some idea of what a stock is. All right, fair enough. If you want to explain, be my guest.
0: Well, we could. We just, in general, maybe I should just say that um, if you were to start a business, like let's say the classic lemonade stand, mm-hmm. you know, you'd go out and um, you would need some money to get the stand and some lemons and some sugar and water and some cups. And um, you would have to capitalize your business in order to begin that. And so sometimes, if you're just a kid, you don't have any money, so you capitalize it from mom and dad's money. They become investors in your lemonade stand. And um, so they a lot of businesses start up with what we call the three Fs: friends, family, and fools. Right. So money from money from the three Fs. You you know that well. And um, because Danielle is uh, is an expert in. Emerging company law, and that's her practice. Well, that's what I
1: practice. Yeah. Um, Which is another way of saying that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly I work with venture capitalists and angel investors, which are angel investors are typically friends and family of founders of companies. They are not fools. But you know, sometimes also there are people who don't have a lot of experience with investing. So well, that's that's kind the of the fool's thing Is said to, of
0: the fool's thing is like tongue in cheek with yeah, a lot of love.
1: It's a lot of love. It's, it's like people thank who you, God, for investing in my fledgling business that has no evidence it will ever exactly,
0: succeed. Exactly, exactly. And so this is typically not a public stock. This is a company that's just beginning and it has some sort of ownership structure to it, right? Mm-hmm. And it can take various forms and so on. So So when
1: somebody who's not actually operating the business then offers some money to the person who is actually offering the business, they, in exchange, take an ownership portion of the business.
0: Right on. So now they got, its ownership is divvied up a bit. All right, and now this business turns out to be pretty successful, this little lemonade stand, and now it's growing like crazy and throwing off regular cash flow, and they've got all sorts of growth opportunities And the cash is coming in, but they could use more cash and put it to work if they could get it. And so what they might do with the lemonade stand, now that they've got a track record for several years of success, is they might, uh, they they have a choice of where they would get the capital. And one of those choices is to take the company public, that's what we call it. And they go through an initial public offering, they register the stock, um, with the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, that regulates uh, companies and brokers uh, and selling of the stock. And it is then listed on an exchange. And um, and as, well, it's almost listed. What happens is companies like Goldman Sachs and, uh, uh, and other big investment banks and small investment banks will determine that they... Um, they like this company a lot, they like the track record, they really believe in it, and they will help take this company public. And so what they do is they get a road show together, they go out to all their different brokers all over the country with the CEO and the CFO of this company, they do maybe two or three, four cities a day, and what they're trying to do is drum up business. So it's a big sales show, and um, at the conclusion of this show, they start taking orders from all of these brokers who have clients everywhere if this lemonade stand has really impressed everybody. And so they take all the orders, take all the orders, and they start to figure out with the company what price they're gonna put on that stock. And so they decide, okay, we're gonna offer out, let's say, um, 100,000 shares of stock or 10 million shares of stock. It's really sort of the number of shares of stock just kind of depends on how valuable the business is because they need to have a listing, typically in the public markets, of about $5 a share. And so they'll say, well, this company's worth you know, uh, $500 million, so we could have 100 million shares at $5 a share, we could have uh, 50 million shares at $10 a share, we could have 10 million shares at $50 a share. Where do we want the stock price to open up? It's just how many slices are we gonna chop this into? And um, when they figure all that out, they decide to go public. Often they go public at around $20 is a nice ballpark number because it feels like a good, solid company. It's all psychological. I mean, you know, you could go public with one share. But, you know, you have it's psychological, and they want enough shares out there to create liquidity in the market and to solve, satisfy most of the people who want to buy it, but not everybody who wants to buy it because they want pressure to push the stock price up liquidity after it me-
1: Liquidity meaning if you want to sell a share, there is usually a buyer available. That right. makes a, a share liquid.
0: Right. And initially- and, and
1: not all publicly traded stocks are liquid. No, there a lot of There are some them. that are difficult to sell or difficult to buy.
0: Yep, they've gone public and there's nobody really, there's no Goldman Sachs investment banker really supporting the stock and ready to buy it and make the market. And so, you know, it becomes really more difficult to sell and buy, and you might be selling for ten dollars uh, and buying for fifteen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be a huge spread. Huge jump. Yep. But um, and so this uh, this sort of idea of how many shares you're going to put in the market is all kind of determined by the overall value of the company and how much they want the shares to sell for in the in the initial public offering and how many people are out there to buy those shares and how hot the item was when they took it around to all the brokers. And so it's a big thing, you figure it all out, and the company goes public. Now, from that point, um, when the company goes public, it receives the money that is put in in this initial public offering. So let's say they receive $100 million. From that point, those shares trade in the public market, at whatever price people are willing to buy or sell them at, and none of that money ever goes back to the company. But having a strong public market for the stock makes the uh, makes the company um, really a gives the company a strong balance sheet because it can borrow it can borrow money against its stock if the stock is really strong in the market and that allows it to have good credit and uh, really is important for companies to preserve their good, their sort of good credibility once they become public um, for all kinds of debt reasons and, and, uh, and obligations of the company that they can get into when they're cranking up their business. So the public markets really have a huge impact on the ability of a company to grow because they provide capital, and then on the sort of credibility of the company as you go forward. Um, and whether the market's real strong. So that's kind of what stock is. Stocks are little pieces of paper um, that are uh, held by, typically, your broker. They'll hold it in trust for you um, so that you don't have to worry about getting it back to them if you want to sell the stock. They've got it right there, and then they just move it move it in trust to the next buyer. And so the stock market is just a place where all those things get traded.
1: And quick trading, which I know we're not doing, we're investing, but if we were quick trading, we may not necessarily ever have that piece of paper. A lot of these trades are just done on computers now. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. And actually, the, I mean the, we the, almost never get that piece right, of paper. Right. We almost never get it. Yeah.
1: It still exists. You still own it. You just might not have that paper evidence. And right. that's okay.
0: Right. The paper the paper evidence isn't like needed like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now they've got the files digital and they know who owns the stock. and. And um, you get to vote your shares if, you're, if you have voting privileges, and you, know, you never need the stock certificates for that. So the brokers hold those in trust. And so if you want to become a stock investor, sort of beginning place to start would be like, okay, how do I actually buy and sell a stock? Right. Or is there something else we want to climb into here?
1: Yeah, literally, no, you, you hit it exactly right. How do I buy and sell stock? So I am sitting here, in the next 20 minutes, I would like to buy a stock. <laughs> Is that possible?
0: What I want to do buy do? a stock. So it I sounds assume... funny to say, I want to buy a stock. <laughs> just,
1: just one. <laughs> so I assume that there's an account I need to open, right?
0: Yes. You need to open a brokerage account.
1: Okay. Is that like a bank account?
0: It's similar to a bank account. And in some brokerages, it has replaced bank accounts because you can write checks on it.
1: Really? Yeah. It's
0: handy. Oh, very handy. Um, a brokerage account, therefore, is very similar to a checking account, and it's opened similarly, but it's not with a bank; it's with a brokerage company. It's called a broker dealer, and these broker dealers are registered with the SEC and and are regulated by uh, a private organization called FINRA, and they um, are they are placed. Their business is to facilitate the exchange of money for stock. And they take a little piece called a commission whenever they do that. It used to be that when there was no internet, there was a huge commission relative to the amount of stock that was trading. But today the commissions have shrunk down to where they're really, really, really tiny. And so this brokerage function has gone from being a hands-on Go down to a brick and mortar place, and there's your broker, and you yeah, there used to have money. to be
1: a guy who gave a piece of paper to another guy,
0: exactly, and
1: then the sale would be done. And they
0: would run paper around New York to get the sale traded, and all this, and uh, you had to, you know, if you were in the business, you had to be in New York because that's where all the paper was, and mm-hmm. and all this has become completely distributed now. <laughs> it's all completely digital.
1: It's an extraordinary democratization of the public markets and of the little guy of us being able to have access to them. It's really incredible.
0: what the internet has done. It's revolutionary. It's revolutionary. Absolutely revolutionary. Um, in, in both the, uh, massive reduction in the cost of actually being in the business of, of investing and in the, uh, the incredible distribution of information, Mm -hmm. unbelievable now that the little investor, has access to virtually all the information that the big investor has access to. Um, this is one of those places where, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, of regulation in most cases, but this is one of those places where um, regulation has really had a great impact for the democratization of information um, by requiring that no one get the information before everyone gets the information. And it was impossible to do that before the internet. So there was always somebody that got it first. And whoever got it first had a huge advantage. And it was always a big guy. Well, today, everybody gets it first. And now the advantage has shifted, ironically, to the little guy. Um, Warren Buffett has been asked, for example, why didn't you get out of you know these stocks when they were really high and then they dropped like a brick? And he said, you know, we're just too big. You know, We're not nimble. Like, we can't do that. Um, so, the advantage goes to the little guy because if everybody's getting the information at the same time, then the guy who can move all of his money quickest and easiest has a huge advantage. So, if you're working with $1,000, you've got massive advantages over a guy like Warren Buffett, who's working with $100 and yeah. in the ability to move it around. So, uh, okay, so the brokerage. So,
1: there's a brokerage account mm-hmm. that each person needs to open. Yep,
0: and it's just, you can do it right online. It's really easy, and um, to find the brokers that are out there to, to work with, you just Google stock broker, online, online stock broker, and that's virtually all of it's done online now. I mean, we there all are, probably are online. probably a lot of them. And there's a bunch of them. Um, I can give you a handful that I know are pretty good. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so there are some sites that are real professional, and then there are sites that are more for the amateur investor. Um, and what does
1: that mean? What's the difference? The difference is
0: the amateur is going to pay a lot more <laughs> per trade. Well,
1: that's no good. Which
0: sort of is too bad. Um, <laughs> are you
1: getting more for that extra payment?
0: A little bit, yeah. You are. You getting, getting some help or something? Yeah, you get a little more help, and you get a lot nicer interface. You get mm-hmm. one that's a lot nicer to work with. Um, the professional sites which tend probably to be means it's
1: easier to work with. Easier
0: to work with. I'm thinking in particular the site that one of the sites that I use is Interactive Brokers, which is. Just full-on professional website, and oh my gosh, can you ever screw up on that one? If you hmm. if you don't put a minus sign in front of your order, you could end up with exactly the opposite order that you've put in. And the minus sign is not intuitive. <laughs> it's like you need to know that. Um, it's a little bit like yeah. working with the internet back in the old days, <laughs>
1: right.
0: where it was all DOS commands and stuff. Yeah, yeah you miss one letter, and you, put you got the forward
1: slash instead of the backward slash. Yeah. and it doesn't work.
0: It doesn't work. And so this way, yeah, you know, something happens, but it's probably not what you wanted. So interactive brokers is, and they they they're not focused on gathering assets under management from a lot of mutual fund people or something like. They're not interested. They they want pro traders. That's their whole thing. Uh, but really fast execution, really uh, command of markets all over the world. I mean, it's it's quite good and pretty cheap. I mean, it's like. About you know penny a share kind of thing. I mean, you can buy you can as an individual investor that doesn't have a lot of money in it, you can probably buy most of the stock you want to buy for about a you know a dollar. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Really commissions. Cheap. Great so commissions.
1: for people who are listening to this, because probably people who use interactive brokers don't need to listen to this podcast about what a stock is. Yeah, yeah. And how to
0: open a brokerage account. <laughs> oh, you're probably not listening um, to this.
1: So what are some uh, sites that are a little more friendly towards an amateur.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I wouldn't recommend interactive brokers unless you really want to study it and be really careful you know what you're doing. They're not looking for your business. And, and they they're, they want $10,000 minimum before they'll even open an account. So there you go. Um, the sites that are looking more for the amateur investor are sites like um, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, and Thinkorswim, or sorry, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, and Scottrade. Uh, so
1: basically, the stuff
0: you see advertised. Yeah, E Trade, Scott Trade, TD. Now, I haven't used Scott Trade and E Trade, um, um, but I've been, yeah, I've definitely had accounts with Schwab and I've definitely had accounts with TD Ameritrade. Um, TD Ameritrade is owned by TD Bank. Um, they have definitely have an interest in mutual funds and assets under management, so they're happy to get the amateur investor almost no minimum to open an account there. Um, they have lots of free stuff for you to look at for for uh, business information about companies that you're looking at. So we use them as a research site regularly, and I do have an account open there. Um, they're about, I think they're like eight bucks for a trade, so
1: so that's substantially different from interactive brokers. Yeah, it's pretty different. But with the added protection that you presumably you will might, choose you, the correct, you thing. might
0: get what you think you get. Yeah, right. And then they and have if a, you're
1: doing it's not I mean if you're doing this investing the way we're talking about it you're not making a lot of trades. Right.
0: So it doesn't so really it doesn't make that big a that difference. Much. It it does matter to the really little guy. Like if somebody's coming in here and starting this with $1,000. Yeah, then
1: that difference makes a, lot. a difference. Mm-hmm.
0: Remember when you when you first started doing stuff, I remember you were like splitting up your Couple thousand dollars into several different stocks, and each time it was a trade, and you had to pay the eight bucks. And it's like, hmm,
1: I know that was right after college, and I decided that I was going to invest, <laughs> it was ridiculous. It didn't work, and out. um, and I remember being like, wait a second this commission is eating up all of my money and you were shocked because you had never traded with so little money.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it never occurred to me. It
1: never occurred to you.
0: Oh my gosh. $8 is and a lot. And then
1: I quit and haven't touched it since. Yeah, I mean,
0: effectively, I think in those days it was nine ninety nine, which is $10 on $1,000, which is 1%. Yeah. So you're paying 1% up front to get in and 1% up front to, or to get out, and which means you have a 2% load yeah. on that company. And um, that's the old days. That's like, that's what they used to charge in the old days for all these things and those that's when brokers were rich. So that was
1: should somebody looking at the different sites obviously compare the cost and then try to figure out what they're getting for that commission cost? In other words, should they just make a pure price decision? Should they be more focused on the tools that they receive on any given website, or is it you know, should you just kind of decide which one is more important for you?
0: Yeah, I think um, here's what I would do. I would get a, get the top four and I would call each one of them. Or, the, you know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, that would be TD, Scott Trade, Schwab, and, and uh, E-Trade. And call those guys and see how their customer service is for you. Um, I haven't interacted with customer service for a long time. So you're going to, and that's what you're going to want to do. You're going to you want to have point. a guy on the phone yeah. that you can talk to. When
1: you're new to something, you need some help.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it. If you're just doing it on the internet, it's easy enough once you've done it a couple times, but the first time, you know how it is, you start to get lost. So you need to be able to have somebody who'll respond quickly. Um, And you'll have to find out for yourself which ones are are better, but that's how I would do it. In terms of the tool sets, um, I know know TD's tool sets really good. They've got a lot of stuff in there, which you may uh, take advantage of. A lot of analyst reports, a lot of information about stocks is all in there. And um, as you're doing your research, that might be a good place to go and get that stuff. And you can open up a TD Ameritrade account with no money. Really? Yeah. You can open up a legit ca- account and not fund it and have full access to all of their goodies. Well,
1: that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> we're not trying to advertise them, but that sounds really interesting. Uh, I don't That know sounds she... actually like a really good first step. We were debating what really the first step should be when you start um, thinking about investing.
0: Well, cool then. We don't have any kind of a relationship with TD Ameritrade, so I'm I'm perfectly happy to have you guys go over there or anywhere else. Um, And I think maybe if I was just going to recommend one, I, I know that they have good stuff.
1: So a lot of other ones have minimum account balances that you have to put in initially.
0: A lot of them do, um, and, and a lot of these websites really want options traders, You know, they're not interested in assets under that's management. that's how they make money. That's how they make money. Because you're constantly paying commissions for yeah, that stuff. Yeah, it's the commissions for op, from options traders. Mm-hmm. And TD American has a, an option trading wing called Thinkorswim, um, and if you ever got into options, which is something fun to talk about someday, um, that's not a bad site to do it on. Um, a little bit expensive, but you know, not horrible. Um, And I think for that reason, TD Ameritrade keeps everything available to you for free because ultimately they want assets under management. And assets under management are a big advantage for a company that has a bank that owns them, that does two-thirds of its revenue from from mutual funds. Mm -hmm. So they occupy this sort of interesting position where, you know, come on into us and trade or invest, but we're happy to do it for you. And I think what they found is that that's really an effective strategy, that we're happy to have you come on board and really come out to be an investor because you're going to figure out real fast
1: that you need help that
0: you need to just give us your money. <laughs> we'll take it from here. And
1: maybe you should just switch your bank account to us as well.
0: Exactly. We've so got So much little,
1: easier to have everything in one place.
0: And we can write checks against your account. Yeah. You can put your IRA in here. You can put your Keo in here. You can put your Roth IRA in here. So they've made it very, very flexible. And Hey man, if all you need a bank account for is to write some checks, that's
1: I, all pretty much anybody needs one for.
0: It I nowadays. know, man. I and you know, and you you want to check and make sure that these guys are insured for plenty of money. And you know, TD is vastly insured. So Schwab, so E Trade and Scottrade, so they're all like insured for millions. Not like every your bank is like good FDIC for like what is it quarter million now, four hundred thousand, something like that.
1: 500,000? These guys are millions yeah. of
0: dollars. I think 20 million or something. So, you can put all your money in one place and it's, it's insured privately and and um they execute the trades well. So, that's what that's does that the first mean? step.
1: Oh. What does that mean? They there's an option to not execute trades
0: well? Well, understand that the way the market's set up is that there's a a, num, a limited number, let's say, I don't know, 15 or 20 places where the stock is literally exchanged for for um, money, that's a, a they're called primary brokers. And then there's a lot of other guys who are out there collecting all the clients who do all the trading, and they make a nice interface. But when it comes time to actually do the trade, it's going through somebody else. And um, and I'm pretty sure TD Ameritrade's like that. They don't actually do the trading, and uh, and so it goes through somebody else. Now, so when, if that's the case. You want them to have a lot of somebody else's they can go through, and get the very best price um, every time for you, as possible. And so we often look at that and try to compare. Um, what price do we get on that stock for that company versus this one for this company? We do it definitely. We do it for options regularly, and we find that some places are much much better than others. You know, um, but TD's is pretty good.
1: Investing. Yeah. Does that is that really a major factor? If maybe you're off a penny
0: or No. Being off a penny is irrelevant. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, In fact, there's this book that was written called Flash Boys by Michael Lewis where Mm -hmm. he was raising Oh, getting a little bit hysterical about the fact that there are some companies that inserted themselves in the electronic signals that were going from somebody that was five blocks away from their prime broker. Um, These guys would pick off that signal and then front run it. And We're talking about milliseconds here. And, and and Michael Lewis was like yeah and then these guys like Bill Ackman came out and they built their own uh system so nobody could front run them anymore okay well that probably affects Bill Ackman in a big way okay having somebody front run him and kick the price up a little bit by a, a half a penny because he's
1: someone who's managing $8 hundreds dollars. of mil- oh 8, 8 billion. billion
0: yeah so when he's moving 8 billion like he stepped in on Herbalife and he put in an order for you know millions of shares and if they're front-running him on a penny times a million shares, yeah. that's somebody's $10,000 payday,
1: yeah.
0: right? Not bills, some clown in a business, in an office that just got clever. And so he figured out how to shut that out. But the Flash Boys was more about how, look at how Wall Street's ripping off America. And it really doesn't have an impact on a retail investor at all. It's a, they're, they're, you only put it in one order, they're, it's done, nobody cares.
1: Do so you have so. to pay the commission when you purchase the stock and when you sell the stock? Do mm-hmm.
0: so you, you pay, pay a the going in and pay out.
1: So really for me, let's say if it's eight dollars, for me to buy and sell a stock I'm paying sixteen dollars.
0: Yes.
1: So I need to account for that
0: when I'm when you're buying thinking it.
1: about what I'm buying and how right. much I'm putting in and how much I can I mean in a way you've lost sixteen dollars straight off the bat.
0: Yep, but it's sixteen dollars period, not sixteen per share. So it's just $16. So if you are an investor with, you know, $1,000, it affects you. It's 1.6%, right? Um, so 1000 bucks is a little bit tough to do this kind of investing with. And we, we basically try to do if I'm working with $1,000, I'm going to do more leverage kinds of trades. I'm going to do options instead of, of long term stock investing until i built up my portfolio upwards toward about 100 grand. And then everything above that starts to get pretty big for the options trading market actually. And Mm. you you start to move the market around a little bit. So um, everything above that you go long term with. So that's kind of what we would recommend is if you're starting with a really small amount of money, what you do is you find really wonderful businesses that you understand that have big moats that fit everything Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett are talking about and they're absolutely on sale. But instead of buying the stock, you uh, do options trades. And, and I know I'm way over into the weeds here, but I just no, want to not. tell you. I
1: think that's it's kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about, though, which is being a first time starting out investor. Oh, my gosh, this whole thing is crazy. You probably are that person who doesn't have a hundred grand lying around. Yeah, really true. But suddenly you have to leapfrog to a much more complicated system of investing.
0: You, you probably would benefit from that. I'm, I'm just thinking you probably would benefit from that um, because it gives you a lot, a potential for a lot higher rate of return if you do it well. And uh, I'm, I'll tell you right now, Danielle, if you know the value of the business um, is well above the price of that business, it gives you an advantage on an options trade that isn't baked into the pricing of options. And it gives you an edge. And when you have an edge in a betting market like that, you can really do well with it. And so, you know, we, we pretty regularly see people taking, you know, a few thousand dollars and turn it into really serious amounts of money um, because they understand the idea that the ideas that Warren Buffett and Manish Prabhai are talking about, and then they apply them to a more leveraged situation than that.
1: Options can be have a very intense downside, though. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, I think most brokerage companies won't even let you open an options account without either a certain amount of money or some experience investing.
0: Right, they want to see that you have experience investing. And it's very smart that they ask for that because options done wrong and you you wipe out your money really fast. And so you'll be the Patel family, but no Motel. You just wipe it out in, in yeah. a matter of months you're gone. Um, But it's a a misnomer to think that options are have to be really risky. I mean, even I've listened to people teach options for years and and they try to play this little game that, you know, options are safer than stocks because you can only lose the money you put into the option. All of it. And how exactly is that safer than a stock? And what they say is, well, an option for IBM only costs you four dollars. But the stock costs you 160, and you could lose the whole 160 in the stock, um, and but and you could lose the four dollars in the option. So which one's riskier? Obviously the 160. Which there's something fundamentally massively flawed with that logic. Yeah. <laughs> First part of it being that you wouldn't even be touching IBM if you thought it was going to go broke, right? That there was any chance that IBM was going to go broke. So the idea that you're comparing an option against a company that isn't gonna go broke, apples to apples is stupid, because if you're wrong on the option timing on that option, you are gonna lose your four dollars, and in fact, you probably will. So it's just kind of bizarre how they teach this stuff. But I will tell you this, you know, without getting too deep in the woods on options here, that if you are a ruler type investor, rule one focused investor, and, and you've learned to invest the way Charlie was talking about, understanding the business, Mode of the business, the management of the business, and margin of safety. If you've learned to do that, then when you when you do options, you can absolutely do them in such a way where no matter what the stock price does, you win. There's no losing. Now, I know the SEC just had a heart attack when I'm talking about options with no losing, because they're considered to be very risky. But let me just tell you that there are, the, there are certain kinds of options that you can do where essentially, there's only there's, if the stock price goes up, you keep the money that someone paid you on the option. If the stock price goes nowhere, you keep the money someone paid you on the option. And if the stock price goes down, you get to buy the stock at the price you want to own it at. So no matter what, up, down, or sideways, you're gonna do fine. And, um, and so I would basically, maybe someday we'll talk about that and yeah, how you I do that, should. but not now. I mean, I just want to say that it's possible to get stock at a big discount. Warren Buffett does it all the time using options on a regular basis um, to get you into the stock at a price you want to pay. Like, again, without telling you how we do it necessarily, Whole Foods went, on, went, went from 60 down to 38 not too long ago and on on the news that John Mackey was saying, hey, we're gonna cut prices and we're not gonna be as profitable as we were. So it went down to 38, and I thought I would really love to buy Whole Foods around 29 to 30 dollars a share. So I was hoping it would go down there, and it floored up, it just stopped going down, and it's going along at 38 dollars a share. So I used options to manufacture, I bought a few thousand shares of Whole Foods at 38 dollars a share, and then I manufactured a much lower basis by selling options. And the end result was that no matter what happened to the stock price, up, down, or sideways, I would own either the small number of shares I started with at $30 a share, or a larger number at $30 a share. No way was I over $30 a share. So using options is cool. You can really manufacture some amazing, great margin of safety prices for yourself that uh, that guarantee you some sort of profit.
1: Yeah, because having to own that stock at a low price is generally seen as a loss, but you're actually wanting it at that price, and that's how you see it as a gain.
0: I want it at that price, and and so in, in this particular case, I dropped the basis from 38 to 30 by collecting premiums on options that had a strike price of 30, and I would get put a block of stock at 30. I want to buy it at 30. If it goes to 26 and I can buy it at 30, I'm, I'm a happy guy. So... I had the stock at thirty either way. And and of course what happened is it ran back up into the fifties now. But look at what happened. I've got that stock. I wouldn't have bought it at thirty-eight. I ended up with a basis of thirty and now the stock's at fifty, which is about a 70 percent rate of return in, you know, less than a year. So you can you can create some really good situations for yourself if you know what you're doing.
1: Okay, and the first step is to create a brokerage account.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow! Did we ever go into the weeds on that? One? First, create a brokerage account, and then start doing really, really sophisticated options trading.
1: Don't do that. Yeah, don't, don't do, do that.
0: that. Let's let's start one step at a time, and first figure out how to buy some stock.
1: Yeah, right, and so- a, and a, and accumulate some savings. It sounds like. Sounds like you really do need a good amount of money to start trading. Start, will, I'm sorry, to start investing. Yep,
0: start investing. You you want to have you just you basically the idea is you want to get going on it. Yeah. But here's here's a really cool thing. Um, some of these sites have paper trading accounts that you can use.
1: The fantasy trading.
0: Fantasy trading. And um thinkorswim or TD Ameritrade is one of them. It's got this sub-website called Thinkorswim, and the Thinkorswim website has a paper trading account, they call it paper money and they give you a fictional $200,000. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, and it's totally cool and it, it you I you do see that. you absolutely should do that. Yeah. And you see the real prices and the whole thing and it requires that you use the website exactly the way you would use it so with you get real used money. To it. So you get used to it. It's, you can get over the intimidation factor yeah. Yeah. of, "Oh my god, if I push this button, did I just lose my $1,000?" Well, you can push it and lose 50,000 of the fake money and they'll give you more. You know, so this is a great way to get to learn the website, and I think most of these guys have it. Yeah,
1: I bet they have other ones that are like that.
0: Yeah. So you got your $200,000, you got your website, you got your account open, and um, let's say you don't even have any money in the real account, now you've got the the paper money account open um, with $200,000 of pretend money, and you are now going to buy a stock, right, because you've done all this other stuff that we'll Mm -hmm. continue talking about here forever about understanding and moat and management, you did all that, you found a thing, it's got a great value, uh, far above the price, and now you want to buy it. So using this paper trading account, or paper money, you will go in and select the buy button. This is really this simple. You look at your account, you put in the name of the stock you want to buy.
1: And there's a code for each company. Called
0: a symbol for each company. And the websites, if you write in the name of the company, they spit out the symbol. They all do it. So if you don't know that symbol, it's very helpful. They want you to sometimes the
1: symbols relate to the company name, and sometimes they don't. Oh, exactly. (laughs) There's a
0: company called Horsehead Holdings. The symbol is zinc. (laughs) How do you get to there? Right, happens to be in the zinc market. IBM. The symbol is IBM. IBM. So there you go. Um, so you put in the symbol, you type in the name, but it's going to require you put in the symbol. So you put in the symbol, or it puts it in for you, and then you select the number of shares that you want to own. Well, how do you know how many shares you want to own? And the answer is, um, let's say you've got your $200,000 pretend account. You decide you want 10% of your account invested in this IBM, let's say. Okay, so what is 10% of $200,000? 20,000. 20,000. All right, so now you know you're gonna buy 20,000 shares of IBM. So you get out some sort of- No, you're gonna buy 20,000 dollars.
1: Sorry, 20,000
0: dollars of IBM.
1: Of shares.
0: uh, Worth of shares. And so you get out a calculator. And you look at the price of IBM right now, which is, let's say, 163. And you divide 163, into twenty thousand. Let me borrow your I pen. Don't, I don't
1: know how I'm much that do it right is. Now we of course own. had to pick one sixty three yeah, instead of a lovely number like ten.
0: <laughs> exactly, but I'm doing the math here. One sixty three, and it's uh, that zero, so two. About, let's just call it about one hundred and twenty shares of IBM.
1: I will believe you.
0: Ballpark. So let's do the math here. One hundred twenty shares times one sixty three. Is zero six twelve three one six three and that's zero six five nine one. Yeah, that's nineteen thousand five hundred and sixty bucks. Okay, so you say, All right, I want to buy one hundred and twenty shares. You find that from your calculator, divide the price of the stock into the amount of the chunk that you're gonna put into this company,
1: the total dollars that you're gonna spent, in.
0: and you get In this case, the number of shares of IBM is 120. Great. Now, you put 120 in where it says number of shares, into that little box. And then in all the brokerage sites, it'll say, okay, what kind of order do you want to put in? So the next little box is an order box. And it's gonna say, do you want this to be an order that is just for today? or is it good until you tell us you no longer want to buy it?
1: What does that mean?
0: Well, it means that the order will last longer than the end of today's market. That the broker will keep it in there if for some reason they can't provide you with the stock, at one. they can't find 120 shares at 163. Um, Oh, wait, 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 let me back up one step.
1: You have to put in the price that you want to purchase it at.
0: Exactly. Now, let me, let me let me say, probably in most brokers there's an order that follows this, this way, um, and that is that they want to know the kind of order you're going to place. Is it a market order? In which case, they will simply go get it at the best price they can.
1: And that might be a little higher or a little lower than the price you're seeing currently?
0: Yeah, it could be. Um, just depending on how fast the market's moving around and stuff. It could be, it, but with a stock like IBM, it's gonna be within the you know pretty much the range that they show. Like on all of the websites, there's a simple little thing called bid ask, and there's a different price under bid, and it might say 163.10, and under ask, it says 163.11. So $163.10 is the bid, $163.11 is the ask, and if you say, give me the market, order on this, they will sell you that at 16310 unless it's moved around. So they're not going to give it to you at the 16311 price. That's what uh, sorry, if you're buying, they're going to give it to you at 16311. excuse me. they're going to give it to you at the higher price if you're a buyer
1: at the ask price
0: at the ask price. And if you're a seller, they're going to pay you 16310. So that little difference in there, is what the the broker does to get a little spread, to make a little money right there. All right, so if you put in a market order, you're gonna get the worst one of those two prices, probably. You with me so far?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, and the market order's symbol is MKT, and that means market order. Now, almost all sites default to something called a limit order. It says LMT. They default that way. So if you're gonna do a market order, you have to change it by clicking on it from a limit order to a market order, okay? Now, a limit order is defaulted to because that's safer for the buyer or the seller. What the limit order says is, I am going to give you a contingent order, Mr. Broker. I am gonna put in the amount of money you have to get this for, You you have to buy this for me for, and you can't spend any more than that. This is the most this is you the can highest spend
1: amount I'm going to offer.
0: Yep. So if you put in 16309, then your broker will not sell it to you until they can get somebody to do the deal at 16309. And if the market is 16310 by 16311, you're not going to get anything. It might be an hour later. Or maybe never. Can um, you
1: put in a time limit on that limit order?
0: Most definitely. That's where you give put them in the time. A day,
1: limit. give them a week, even. Yep. Can it be whatever you want?
0: Um, yeah, you can get sophisticated, but the basics of it are: you can put in a day order, and it defaults to that. And at four o'clock that afternoon, it cancels.
1: When the market closes. When the market
0: closes. And if you want to be, uh, if you want to leave that order in place. You put in a GTC order. So you click on the day thing, little place where it says day, and it'll give you a drop down. And one of the choices will be GTC. That stands for good till canceled. It doesn't mean literally forever. That each website has a limit on how many days out that that really means. Um, but it means days, you know, it's bunches of days that you can leave that in place. And when this thing ever goes to 163.09, boom. You'll be notified you just bought that stock. So, almost all of us use day orders because why, why sit there with it overnight? You know, that's when things change, right? Yeah,
1: you don't know what's <laughs>
0: happening
1: with the news after the market's closed. Right.
0: So, you're sitting there with an order to limit order of 163.09, and the thing opens up the next day at, you know, 162 or something. And yeah, yeah.
1: You'd rather have it at 162.
0: Yeah, you'd rather have it at 162. You just went to the upper end of the market there. So they'll probably try to get it near 162 when they open the market, but they're you're vulnerable to be paying 163. So we always pretty much just use day orders. So those are the essence. So you put in, if you don't put in, uh, if you put it on market order, then they don't need you to put in how much you're willing to pay. So that's gonna blank out. They're not even gonna ask you. Because a market order says whatever the ask is, or the if you can do better than that, great. But it, I'm happy to buy it at, at that higher price.
1: You just want the stock.
0: I want the stock.
1: Whatever it is today.
0: Yep. Give, give it, it to me. me. Um, and when you've got 163.10 bid by 163.11 ask, just put in a market order.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. What I the mean, heck? For a stock that's traded as heavily as IBM, it's not really going to make much of a difference over the next half an hour. You're
0: not trying to get a, a penny
1: again, unless there's news.
0: Right. You're not trying to get a penny. Now, you know, you can put in any kind of a, of a price. You could say, uh, make it good till canceled, and if IBM goes to $140 a share, I want it. And you can put that contingent order in there. You can do all kinds of lovely things. I mean, they have really sophisticated algorithms that you can create with if-then scenarios, including on percentage bases and all sorts of things You can um, that you can do. But for us right now, let's just do the basic of all right, we've, we haven't we have even funded our account, but we've opened it. Mm-hmm. We're using pretend money, and we're starting to learn how to use their tool set without having money at risk. So that's, that's the key pieces of this. Now, when we come back next time, we'll to talk a little bit about some more cool things you can do on that brokerage site. And then when do you know you should start thinking about using real money?
1: Yeah, this is, this is, this is much clearer than I thought it would be. I have to say.
0: My goodness. That's good news. It isn't always that way.
1: No, I think think there's something beautiful about having the veil lifted a bit and seeing how it works behind the scenes. Well,
0: I'm really probably going to get in trouble with my peer group because, you know, they live and breathe on obfuscation and fog. The more you don't know, the better it is for the financial services industry. There
1: are evil people wandering around going, we must obfuscate.
0: Come on. Think, listen, If you think for a second that these guys are in the business of making it easy for you to understand what's going on, you are naive. They make $100 billion a year on your ignorance. That's a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money. That's the amount of money spent.
1: Who, who is that? Who is they? Who they, makes 100 billion? million? These are the, the
0: mutual fund industry, so Fidelity, uh, Janus, all of these big mutual funds, all that stuff that TD owns, huge mutual funds, m- have $100 billion a year that they make based on fees that you shouldn't be paying. <laughs> but you don't know that because we haven't talked about that much yet.
1: No, we haven't.
0: But we will go to some experts like John Bogle, and uh, who runs Vanguard Funds, and have him explain for us why he thinks it's such a ripoff.
1: There's so many things to say. <laughs> I'm
0: excited. <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess uh, until then, all right. time to go play. Bye. See you. Thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One Podcast. If you like us, please subscribe and leave a review for us on iTunes. You can get our notes and links for this podcast and post comments about this show and get more information about how to invest on your own by going to ruleonepodcast.com. Everything we've discussed in this podcast is either Danielle's opinion or my opinion and is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.